Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. We are at 1.51. That's the KSL News Time creeping up on the 2 o'clock hour, final hour of the program today. Thank you for thank you for tuning in. We've had a, a difficult conversation over the past hour looking at the uh, life and unfortunately vile comments made by Raul Dahl. And what does that mean for his legacy? What does it mean for your relationship with the stories you grew up with and the stories you tell your children? Uh, we won't belabor this point, but what I want you to do is, if you have some time, uh, would you do me this favor and download the download the KSL News Radio app? It's powered by Any Hour Services, and on there you'll be able to go back and listen to. Uh, well, first off, I, I share the the ugly comments on the air, and we then have a conversation with Rabbi Zippel here in Salt Lake City. I got his reaction as I try to sort out my own thoughts. Uh, go back, listen to that conversation. I also include comments from texters. And uh, see what you think. The KSL News Radio app, again, powered by Any Hour Services. Uh, all right, listen. Election law is a complicated thing, and when everything goes right, we don't even think about it. Now, I'm not sure how many would say that what is taking place nationwide right now in this presidential election is going right coast to coast. Uh, the good news is that here in Utah, it is going correctly and offers us an opportunity uh, to to in calm and tranquility look at some of the intricate details which inform our election system and some of the laws and some of the rules and some of the timeline that goes into carrying out a free and open election. We do it right here in Utah. There is much that states uh, elsewhere could learn. And to help us understand how things go so smoothly and what this safe harbor day actually means, I've uh, invited to the program Justin Lee, Elections Director for the State of Utah. Justin, sir, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm grateful to you for making time for us today. Now, I understand that uh, we here in Utah, uh, it's uh, it's a pretty non-controversial affair when it comes to elections. And so this safe harbor date uh, means very little to us. But could you do me a favor? Would you explain what December 8th means in the timeline of this presidential election? Yeah, you know, that is a great question, and, and it really is not a date that we've paid a whole lot of attention here uh, here in Utah to over the years. But basically, this is the day that we've got to have um, any recounts or, or any court challenges to the electors are supposed to be accomplished. Uh, so so that next Monday when we count all the votes, um, everybody knows what's in order and everybody knows what's coming. And what happens next Monday? What's the process like for that? So next Monday is the date that the, the electors actually meet and cast their ballots, and, and it is an actual meeting of electors. Uh, so we've got the six electors here in Utah. Uh, they'll actually come to the Capitol. We will hand them ballots that they will actually uh, cast their vote on, uh, give them back to us, and we'll count those ballots. Now, you can imagine with six electors, that doesn't take a long time, just a couple of minutes. But that's the official vote for president for the state of Utah. 
and then and then what happens from there? Does it, are they are they mailed? Are they is there a, a Pony Express ride that? How formal is the process from uh, from the counting of those electors to ultimately transmitting them to Congress? You know, it, it is fairly formal. There's actually several steps that have taken place where we've had to get signatures from the governor and from the lieutenant governor, and they have very specific uh, parameters around those, around what those certificates have to look like. Uh, and then we send them back. Usually it's, a, you know, via FedEx, uh, something we can track very closely to send those back to. It's actually the National Archives that kind of runs this whole process and then gets all of those uh, certificates to Congress. <laughs> you mentioned National Archives. I have uh, countless times before found myself tumbling down rabbit holes uh, in the National Archives. So it's the, it's the National Archives that receives this. And then at some point, it makes the, these votes make their way to Congress. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Eventually, the, the votes get to Congress and they're the ones who who certify those votes and then, you know, move on with the process. How have we here in Utah been able to avoid the the controversies that are swirling in uh, in other states? Is it is it thanks to uh, you know the the overwhelmingly red nature of the voting block here in Utah, or is it because uh, folks like you in your office have things running so smoothly? You know, I mean, I would love to say that it's because of our office that everything's running so smoothly. <laughs> um, and and but I, I will say, you know, when it's not a very close race, um, you don't get some of the controversies you get in other places. I think if if we were in a in a tight spot um, when it comes to the vote for president, that we could certainly be caught up in some of the controversy. Um, I think some states that have done a very good job have been caught up in the controversy. So it's not necessarily a function of how well the elections run. Sometimes it's just a function of of how close the race is. Yeah. And with, you know, things not necessarily being as close as they are in, say, uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, elsewhere, uh, we, we get to sidestep some of that drama. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Uh, well, listen, is there anything I, I haven't asked you? I, I get uh, I get swept up in in these details and I get fascinated. And now you've mentioned <laughs> you've mentioned the, the, the National Archives and that being a player in, in these things. Anything interesting we should know as this uh, process plays out? You know, I mean, a couple of things. One, if if you just Google, um, you know, National Archives Electoral College, you can really go down a rabbit hole of of all the little little issues and all the little minutia that goes into this. Um, you know, the only other thing of of interest we get a lot of people asking is, can the electors change their vote? Um, and and the answer here in Utah is no. Uh, there's something out there called a faithless elector, where someone can change their vote to vote for for a candidate from another party. But under state law here in Utah, whichever party nominated you to be elector, you have to vote for that party's candidate. So if, if an elector tried to vote for someone other than uh, Donald Trump next week, they would be immediately removed as an elector and someone else would be put in their place. I see. Uh, interesting. The, the Supreme Court weighed in on that issue uh, last year, but we have a system in place here to, to safeguard those uh, those electors, or at least their decision and their commitments. Uh, Justin Lee, thank you so much. Again, Director of Elections here in the state of Utah, uh, revealing that we here in Utah pretty non-controversial place when it comes to elections, and we have uh, been able to avoid some of the some of the drama and some of the lawsuits and such that have plagued other states and have continued this election process. Justin, thank you so much. Hey, thank you. All righty. So that's that. Uh, I just wanted to get a quick update on where things stand. You're going to see in many headlines today likely reference made to this Safe Harbor Day. Uh, Safe Harbor uh, making reference to uh, the ability for states to have a date by which they must certify their results. Uh, They 
need to get to the point where they are able to confidently uh, determine, you know, who won the election in that state. Here in the state of Utah, you know, the results were pretty well clear uh, right away. Uh, So good news there. We're going to take a break in just a few minutes. uh, But uh, before we get there, I want to again invite you to have a look at the KSL News Radio app. It's powered by Any Hour Services. We we did something special at the at the start of the program. Had a conversation with Chris Stewart, Utah Congressman Chris Stewart. Why? Well, because we learned late last night that uh, Chuck Yeager, the first man to break the sound barrier, uh, that he had passed away at the age of 97. His wife taking to Twitter to make that announcement. And earlier in the program, we looked back on the life of Chuck Yeager and remembered some of his accomplishments and learned some new things about him we didn't know. And you can get that all at the KSL News radio app powered by any hour services so make your way over there if it's an iphone an android or wherever uh you can check that out also available at kslnewsradio.com we're going to take a break here and when we return we're going to look at some quotes that embody the year 2020 get your thinking cap on i'll need your help quotes that embody 2020 next on live mike i'm lee lonsberry and this is ksl news radio i'm dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast cold Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.